Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined as always by Colby Powell. It is Christmas week, one of my favorite times of the year. Colby Powell, have you? I assume you've got all your Christmas shopping done considering it's the 21st. Oh yes, all the Christmas shopping is done. We actually had Christmas with my family this past weekend. We'll have Christmas with my wife's family this coming weekend and on Christmas day. So all my shopping is done. It was a great weekend and uh, looking forward to a great Christmas week. Absolutely. My, one of my favorite times of the year, we got a lot to talk about between Oklahoma state's bowl matchup, uh, all everything that entails with that. OSU's basketball loss to Texas. We'll get into that as well, but before we get to everything else, uh, let's hear from Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. You need to get on there fast. If you want to get shipping uh, to your house in time for Christmas, obviously you're running out of time and I'm looking at Chris's website and they're, they're out of stock on a lot of things, so go find something you like before it's all completely gone on uh, polos, all the little accessories you can get uh, holiday season, and we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast once again. So I'm sure after Christmas, they'll get restocked, but they're, they're low on stock right now. So go, go check out what they have, and they have great savings as well, and uh, you can get some really good deals there on chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, Cole, before we get to the, the first five, we have some breaking news today on, uh, on a Monday. We knew this was going to happen with a lot of players with, with COVID, with you know the way the season's kind of been a, a wild year, and obviously the transfer rules are much different now with COVID. But Jelani Woods has uh, reportedly entered the transfer portal. That's from, uh, I think Cody Nagel broke the story from Go Pokes. It's since been you know, redistributed across the, the Twitter sphere. So Jelani Woods, no longer a member of the OSU football program. What was your initial reaction? Man, I had a great weekend. I felt good on this Monday morning. It's a beautiful day. It's going to be nice and warm outside today. I, I really was in a great mood. And then I saw that Jelani is entering the transfer portal. And it made me so sad deep down in my soul, Carson. I, I don't know why. I really like Jelani Woods. I think he's always been a ton of fun to watch. Every time he gets the ball in his hands, I kind of perk up a little bit. And he just he, he just seems like a big old likable guy. And uh, he's on the way out. So, you know, obviously, anytime somebody enters the portal, they can come back. That would be great. But it, most guys who enter the portal uh, have made the decision that they want to move on. So I'm disappointed, Carson. I'm really disappointed. Yeah, me too. Obviously, I thought, you know, he goes in the ring of honor of underutilized players in OSU history. And I don't mean to overstate that much like I think people overstated my, my love of Tyron Johnson. Like I didn't think Tyron Johnson was Tylen Wallace, but as you see what he's doing in the NFL, I thought he was completely underutilized for how, how good of a player he actually is. And I think Jelani is similar to that. Maybe not as upper echelon as I thought Tyron was, but certainly at six foot seven, the big target tight end, I thought, as much as he was on the field and as many routes as he would run, I didn't think they threw him the ball enough, but you just look at his numbers, Colby, and then it's pretty underwhelming for his career. He had 120 yards his first year, 112 yards his second, and 129 this year. He averaged, he had 31 catches in his career in 22 career games. So that kind of shows you just how uninvolved he was in the passing game. And so I don't know if he's transferring to get more targets. That would certainly be the first thought in my mind. Uh, I don't know 
we don't we have no idea what the ultimate reason is he's transferring I, I speculated on the last podcast you know Adam Lunt's been been this is his idea I don't mean to steal his idea I want to give him credit he, he speculated that Jelani should perhaps look at moving to offensive line considering he is an excellent blocker I think that's why he's on the field so much because he's like having an extra tackle out on the field I am curious if that's a move he wants to make maybe with a a, a more NFL caliber offensive line coach. I mean, nothing is Charlie Dickey, but maybe a, a different program to, to make that move. I have no idea, but it's, it's a big loss for OSU because, you know, they're losing a lot on offense this year with obviously Tywin and Chuba moving on and, and uh, you know, everything else, but uh, it's uh, disappointing. I mean, I, I thought he was underutilized and I'm curious to see where he goes Colby and, and see if he, if he stays at tight end or, or perhaps switches positions. Yeah, that's something interesting to watch. Uh, I'll be curious whether he tries to stay at the Power 5 level or if he tries, you know, uh, North Texas or any from Louisiana, maybe a, a Louisiana Lafayette, somewhere like that. You know, he's a good player. I think a position switch is probably his best chance of making money. As, as much as, you know, I loved watching him play and loved it whenever the ball was in his hands, the key was getting it to stick in his hands. He, he did have some issues catching the ball at times. So I, I don't know what his future holds. Maybe it is as a left or right tackle with as tall as he is. He puts on 40, 50 pounds, and all of a sudden with the way he can move, he becomes a really good tackle who can play at the next level. But if he is wanting to stay at that tight end position, you would have to imagine that a guy with his size and his potential – wants to at least give himself a chance to play at the next level. And I think that, you know, it's pretty obvious from the fact that he's enter entered the portal. He doesn't feel like he's being used in a way at Oklahoma State that's going to get him to that next level. So he's doing what's best for him to try to achieve his ultimate goal. Uh, of course, that's just me speculating. But I think like a lot of guys, he's been a little bit underutilized at Oklahoma State. And I think depending on where he goes, if he gets in the right situation, we could be looking at Jelani Woods having a, a breakout year next year, regardless of what position he decides to play. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first instinct would be maybe he wants to go to an offense that utilizes the tight end more. But when you, when you say that out loud, I mean, OSU had the Cowboy backs on the field, you would think as much as any team in the country, just in terms of the way, just looking at it overall. So I'm curious to see what type of offense he wants to go to and, and certainly what position you'd like to play at. And I, and again, this is this is only us speculating that he even wants to change positions. He might he might see himself as a tight end. He's already switched positions once. He came to Oklahoma State as a quarterback, then made the switch to tight end. And I think, you know, I compared him to kind of Tyron Smith from from USC, perhaps, you know, just in terms of his measurables and uh, being, you know, light on his feet. But I think a better comparison would actually be Lane Johnson, who came to Oklahoma out of junior college for the Sooners as a former quarterback who had transitioned to tight end. Well, he gets to Oklahoma. They move him to left tackle. Now he's one of the highest paid players in the entire NFL and has just one of the biggest contracts you can get. That's a very similar trajectory that, that Jelani Woods is on right now. So I think he should do that. I think that's, that's probably, as you said, he could make the most money. I, I think he could play for 12 years in the NFL doing that. So, and, and Charlie Johnson's a guy I mentioned as well, who was at Oklahoma state transitioned from tight end to to offensive line and, and won a Super Bowl and played for for a decade in the NFL so that's the latest from OSU uh Johnny Woods we sad to see him go the, we did get one snap out of the woodshed package though Colby before he bounced. won we got one <laughs> so maybe maybe he'll run the woodshed somewhere else and I'll be just you know sad 
But uh, we did get OSU's bowl announcement. Colby, this is the first on our first five. OSU Miami in Orlando. It's now the Cheez-It Bowl. It's been the Camping World Bowl, the Russell Athletic Bowl. I've covered this bowl game before when Oklahoma was there against Clemson. And I believe I covered it uh, when OSU played Virginia Tech in the same bowl. It's one of the worst bowls you can cover in terms of being a media member. It's just it's horrific how poorly run the bowl is. So I'm glad I won't be there this year. Yeah, go into that a little more. I'm curious what the experience has been like in Orlando. Well, first, you have to fly to Orlando, which you're flying over the holiday. So your plane is full of a bunch of kids wanting to go to Disney. And it is just a zoo on the plane. The airport is an absolute nightmare. You're talking kids from every age, whether they're there for tournaments or to go to Disney World. It is just insane. And then... You know, I've covered a lot of bowl games in my career, and this is the the only one that really stands out where they they don't even really help the media. Like you get off the media shuttle, no one knows where you're supposed to enter the stadium. Just a lot of stuff people probably don't care about who aren't in the media. But it was the most unhelpful bowl I've ever covered. It was it was really astonishing. It didn't even feel like you were at a bowl game, and uh, it's in. Everyone still talks about it. Kerry Murdoch on uh, the Sports Animal has been just railing on this bowl for years. He did so again this week before the bowls were announced, and it's terrible. But we do get a, a really great matchup. You know, Yahoo Sports ranked the matchups, all the bowl matchups, and OSU is going to face the Miami Hurricanes, the U, and they ranked it as the 10th best bowl matchup of the entire bowl season. So I, I think this is another case, Colby, where this has happened three years in a row now, I believe, where OSU's in one of the lower – tier bowls not one of the upper echelon ones but they get a great matchup they got to play virginia tech which i mentioned you know a name program they played missouri our old friends from the big 12 days it was a good program at the sec in the liberty bowl and now they go to the cheese it bowl and they get to play miami who who was in you know ranked in the top 15 from the most part of the season yeah they keep finding themselves with these good matchups against acc opponents and you know honestly it's against ACC opponents that had probably a little higher expectations for themselves. And then a big 12 team that had probably a little bit higher expectations for themselves. And they both wind up in the cheese at bowl. I know Miami with De'Aaron King was wanting to uh, be a part of that ACC championship game. Obviously that didn't happen. Clemson and Notre Dame pretty much dominated that conference all year long. And with Miami's, what was it like a 62 to 26 loss to North Carolina a couple of weeks ago, uh, obviously they weren't going to be able to get there, but this is a good matchup. Um, I'm curious, obviously, how many guys are going to play. You don't have the usual – usually anybody who has like a just small little nagging injury, a hamstring, a mild ankle sprain, stuff like that, you kind of know from the end of the regular season to bowl season, that guy's got plenty of time to heal up, and and most of the guys who are choosing to play in the game are going to be playing in the game. It's not that way this year. Guys with minor injuries don't have a month to get their bodies ready to go what is today the 21st so the 12th would have been Oklahoma State's last game so it'll be 17 days 17 days is still a long layover but it's not 32 35 days uh like these teams get sometimes so uh, I'll be curious on both sides how many players uh end up missing because I know Oklahoma State obviously has some guys who are foregoing to the NFL and then Oklahoma State has a lot of guys who are just kind of banged up so I'll be curious to see who all takes the field yeah, that's a big question. Any bowl season, but especially this one, like you mentioned, with with COVID and you know, guys opting out and everything else. So that's that remains to be seen. And Mike Gunny did have a press conference talking about the game 
That's number two on our first five. And, uh, you know, Tylen Wallace came up in his press conference and I, you and I both just assume he, he's not going to play. I think, I don't know if Mike Gundy's just playing it coy, but he basically said, uh, I'm trying to pull up the full quote, but uh, he, he was asked if, if Tylen Wallace will be able to play. He says, I hope so. I haven't had the discussion at that point. We're going to practice a couple of days and then give them three or four days off for Christmas. He's hoping by today, he says tomorrow, yesterday. So he's hoping by today he would know. But uh, I kind of would be surprised if, if Ty, I would be very surprised, not kind of surprised. I'd be shocked if, if Tyler Wallace plays in this game. I mean, you've seen some other big name players. Um, the, the tight end from Florida will not play against Oklahoma, the Pitts kid who's a you know, top five pick on a lot of mock drafts. So I think a lot of the bigger names are going to opt out, especially when you consider it the way Tylen got banged up there, you know, and, and, and didn't finish the the regular season. I'd, I'd be stunned if he, if he played, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, absolutely. I would. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see on, who plays, but speaking of Miami, Colby, you mentioned it. They had a great year and it was very similar to OSU in that, you know, they won some close games against some of the lower uh, level teams in the ACC and they just got their doors blown off by, by Clemson and North Carolina. North Carolina, Colby, put up over 700 yards against Manny Diaz, who's the head coach of Miami. He's the you know, former defensive coordinator, longtime defensive coordinator with Texas and Mississippi State. And they ran for over 500 yards. They had a back run for 300 and a back run for 200 against them in that North Carolina game. So this is a great opportunity, I would think, for this offense to keep kind of the momentum they had in the last game out against Baylor, particularly on the ground with Desmond Jackson and Dominic Richardson. So while Miami probably comes in with more fanfare and the, the higher, you know, ranking, so to speak, uh, for the most part of the season, this is another great opportunity for this offense if they can open it up like they did against Baylor. Yeah. And hopefully, like you said, open it up is the key word. Don't play offense in a phone booth against Miami. Do not play offense in a phone booth. And Carson, I don't think they will because we've seen time and time again from Oklahoma State, you know, bowl games are fun. It's it's great to go out and beat a good team from another conference. It'd be great to go out and beat kind of a college football name like Miami. Uh, but this game doesn't, you know, conference championship isn't on the line. College football playoffs not on the line. The uh, you, you know, the the punishment for losing this game is not as severe as it is during the regular season. So we've seen time and time again, Oklahoma State opens it up in the bowl game. They have fun. They do trick plays. They do all the stuff that we clamor for from, September, from the start of September through the end of November. We clamor for it and we don't get it. And then we just get overloaded with it in the bowl game. I have no reason to believe that it'll be any different this year. I, I kind of look forward to the creativity they always show during the bowl game, and I always leave it thinking to myself, man, that was a lot of fun. I hope next year we see more of that in the regular season, and I'm sure I'll do it again this year, and the cycle will, will never end. You're right about that, and I think that this is a real strength, I believe, of Mike Gundy in terms of his bowl record is obviously really good. It's 9-5 and five overall in his career. But just more than that, it's it's what you mentioned. They they really let it all hang out. They play fun. They play loose. I, I keep going back to the uh, the check engine light game against that. They play, they beat a really good Washington team in the Cactus Bowl when, with the James Castleman uh, reception where he said his check engine light came on and everything else. But I think Mike Gundy really has shown, you know, there, there's an art to taking a team on essentially a vacation and then having to play a football game at the end of it. He really gets his teams focused and playing well by the time the game rolls around. That's a real strength Mike Gundy has, has learned in his career. I mean, they lost 
A&M in a close game last year without Spencer Sanders, but prior to that, they'd won three bowl games in a row. And uh, this is where I kind of, I trust Mike Gundy in these bowl game situations. And uh, you know, I think a lot of it speaks to what you just said is that he's way more aggressive. He doesn't punt on opposing teams, you know, 40 yard line. So that's, a, that's a real strength coming in this game. I would certainly trust Mike Gundy's track record in bowl games far more than, than Manny Diaz. Oh yeah, I would too. I mean, Mike Gundy, um, like I said, you remember the James Castleman play? several years back, just the kind of stuff that they've done like that. Uh, I'm curious to see who's the guy that they might do some stuff like that with this year. Well, not you know, J- not if, Jelani, if, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say it probably <laughs> would have been Jelani. I guess it won't be now. Um, I, I don't know. One of those guys on the defensive side, maybe uh, maybe A-man gets to come in at Cowboy back and catch a pass out in the flat. I think uh, that'd that would be fun. That would be fun. Get, get, yeah. let, me, let me see some Amen on Bong Bamiga, the Amen package. Uh, the prayer yeah. package. The prayer package. There it is. There's awesome. the name. Bless them. Perfect. Yes. Love. I love it. Uh, so we have more to talk about with the bowl game too. Uh, I think it was Marshall Scott. No, it was Kyle Cox. I'm sorry. Kyle Cox wrote five things to know about OSU's Cheez Its Bowl against Miami. You can check that out on Pistols Firing. And we've talked a little bit about you know how it was the Camping World Bowl and all that. We know that history there. But not only is Mike Gundy nine and five in his tenure, Colby, Oklahoma State is a top ten bowl team. In terms of winning percentage, OSU is 19 and 11 all time in bowl games, and uh, among teams to play at least 20 bowl games, it is OSU's fifth behind only Utah, Ole Miss, USC, and Syracuse. Now, some of those names, like a Syracuse and a Utah, most likely they're they're playing in kind of these mid-tier bowls that that OSU's played in, and that's partly why their their record's so good because Miami comes in 54th all time in bowl percentage win at, at 19 and 22. Because let's face it, you know, Miami's been playing for national championships and playing in, you know, over their history, they've, you know, they've won five national titles. So they've been playing in games that are a lot harder to win, I guess, is the, is the, the theory here. So, and how about this? Miami has lost its last three bowl games and is one and nine over their last 10 bowl games. So that's a pretty bad run that Miami's on in bowl games. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's been kind of wild to watch the progression of the Miami program. You know, I'm a little bit too young to kind of remember the glory days. I I was just getting old enough to really kind of uh, pay attention to the fact that they were elite in 2000, 2001, in that era. And and then by the time I was really old enough that I was appreciating college football, Miami was kind of being phased out. So, you know, I've gone back, I've watched the 30 for 30s. I've seen the U and and the second one, all that. And, you know, those were unbelievable. Those teams they had in 2000, 2001, I mean, those teams were loaded with so much NFL talent. It'd make your head spin. Um, But Miami's really been an average program for the better part of 15 years. And I think that that's still kind of what Miami is. I think they're still kind of average and they're searching for a little bit more. And I I just – you know, eight and two this year. Yes, that's great. But I still think that they would consider it an underachieving year. Um, and I still don't think that they know if they have their guy. Manny Diaz, he's been good so far. He's done a good job. But I still don't think that they have their, you know, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Dabo Swinney, Nick Saban, you know, the, the guy that you know can be there for as long as he wants and win for a long time. I don't think they have that. I think that this bowl game, uh, probably means a little bit more to Miami because I think that that's a program that's trying to convince itself that it is still a lot better and heads and tails above a program like Oklahoma State 
Whereas I don't think Oklahoma State cares about that as much. I think Miami really cares about their standing in college football and the way that they're looked at nationally. Um, so I think that it will definitely mean something to Manny Diaz to win this bowl game. Uh, I'm not sure about Mike Gundy, but again, he coaches loose in bowl games. So I'm actually, I thought I was going to be really just kind of so-so on the bowl matchup. I'm actually kind of looking forward to Oklahoma State and Miami. I'm glad they got this one. No, it's fun. That's a fun matchup. And again, it's top 10 bowl game out of, out of all of them ranked by, by Yahoo Sports. And, and you make a good point about Miami. And I've, I've said this for a long time. Miami is kind of, I don't think they're ever going to get back to what they were. I think they're, they're very outdated as a football program. They have a lot of issues working against them. One, they're a, they're a private school. Their fan base is really just fair weather fans. If Miami's kind of like USC in that if they're good, they're kind of like an NFL team where NFL fans will show up for good. If not, they won't. They don't really have just a built-in alumni base. They're in Miami. They're more of a national uh, alumni base. That's one. And they, they don't have a stadium on their campus, too. So it's even harder to get fans all the way down to where the, the Dolphins play. And, uh, you know, Miami, if they just recruit within a five to ten mile radius of their of, of Dade County, they should be a top 20, top 15 program. That's how much talent is around them. But they they just don't have quite the infrastructure to be a national contender anymore. That's why they haven't been good, like you've mentioned, for relevant for 15 years. And I I would never I wouldn't say OSU is a better job overall because of just the talent base you have being in Miami, being in the state of Florida. It's just a talent rich. But I think per capita it is the most talent rich, even more than Texas is in the state of Florida. It's produced probably more NFL players per capita. And so I wouldn't say it's a better job, but I would say OSU has better infrastructure as a football program. And this is kind of what I, I keep trying to harp on with, with OSU as a college football job. The infrastructure is there to succeed. All you got to do is recruit the state of Texas. Mike Gundy's done a really good job of doing that, particularly in the Houston area over his career. You have a stadium that's you know top of the line. You have the facilities. Uh, so I would give the edge to Miami in terms of recruiting base, but in terms of a college football program infrastructure, OSU's is probably better considering Miami doesn't have a stadium and they don't have an on-campus you know alumni base really to, to speak of. And I think that's kind of just shows you how college football can change over over a course of you know two decades. Is that you know Miami in 2000 2001 would be preeminent program like you mentioned. I mean, they were they were close to challenging the OU's 47 game winning streak if they had beaten uh, Ohio State in that in that championship game scenario. So. Miami had definitely their star has fallen, but um, I think it speaks to more of, you know, these two programs, I think, are, are pretty close in terms of where you would rank them right now in terms of overall, just based on the production and the infrastructure. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I was going to bring up the fact that Miami doesn't have its own stadium because there is so much talent around there. But we know in, in 2020 and moving forward, recruiting all across the country has become easier just with the technology. It's easier to see more kids. It's easier to communicate with more kids. And it's easier for the kids to see more schools and communicate with other coaches. And when these elite rec recruits that are coming out of the Miami area, they go visit Miami and, you know, they, they go to the Orange Bowl and the atmosphere isn't great. It's very much a pro town, doesn't have a college feel to it. The, the excitement for Miami football is nothing like what it was 20 years ago. And then the, the same guys, these elite level recruits, they go 
and they take trips to Florida and Florida State and Georgia and Alabama and Clemson. And that college feel, that atmosphere, you, you know, that, that gives you goosebumps and makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that, that's what you don't have at Miami. So, yes, they have a ton of talent around them, and they do get a good portion of that talent in there, but it doesn't have the feel of college football that I think so many people love. And I think that that hurts Miami because I think whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, before this huge wave of facilities all around the country, maybe it was cool to play in the Orange Bowl, and that was something kids wanted. I think now it's it's that atmosphere. It's that feeling that you get whenever, you, you know, like a Clemson night game, when they run down the hill and they all touch that rock and everybody's going crazy and it's unreal. You know, at Auburn, they fly the eagle around. At Oklahoma State, even, bullet runs across the field. It's, it, it's the college football aspect of it that I think Miami's missing. No doubt. And there is – I'm totally with you. And a lot of Miami fans – they still rue the fact they tore down the original Orange Bowl. That 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 lost a lot of the. You know, I don't think the, the stadium obviously doesn't help them win games, but a lot of the mystique and just the environment was lost when they tore down the original Orange Bowl. And now they play in you know that Miami Dolphins stadium that's had like 15 different names over the last yeah, 15 years. Whatever it is now. I, I've been there like twice, and I it was a different name each time I had been there. So uh, there is a little bit of history. A very very small amount between Oklahoma State and uh, Miami. They, they met one time back in October of 1991. <laughs> Miami was number two in the country at the time, and they beat OSU 40-3, to and that's the year that Pat Jones's team went winless while Miami went on to win the national title, uh, beating Nebraska in the 92 Orange Bowl. And, uh, of course, the main history between OSU and Miami is Jimmy Johnson left uh, Oklahoma State to go coach the Miami Hurricanes. So that's, that's when Jimmy was – uh, winning national titles. So there's there's a little bit of history uh, between uh, OSU and Miami. <laughs> Mike Gunny was asked about it. I guess he was on the staff in 91, a very young assistant with Pat Jones. And he was asked about being on the staff when they played Miami. <laughs> Mike gave a great answer. He said, I can't much remember last week, let alone what happened in 1991. And I think I'm, I'm right there with Mike. I mean, I don't know what what sort of insight he's supposed to glean from, about the University of Miami, but <laughs> being a young assistant back in 1991. Yeah, that uh, – what a year that was. Oh, 10 and 1, that was a lot of fun. Oof, yeah, so, come a long way. Are you trying to tell me if Manny Diaz doesn't make it, then Miami's going to steal Mike Gundy the same way they stole Jimmy Johnson? Is that what we're reporting on today's pod? They could do a lot worse, I'll tell you that. I mean, I, I do think Diaz has done better than I thought he would because I thought he was all glitz and glam and not much substance because, you know, he got his defense has got lit at University of Texas – and uh, he is kind of the Miami guy. He's brought over. He's brought the turnover chain, and he's brought a little bit of that swagger back to Miami. But they had a decent year. It just uh, I don't know what they're going to do once Derek King leaves town. That's that's a key matchup too, uh, Colby. I mean, this defense has played really well for the most part this year. Uh, it's another good test for for this OSU defense facing uh, Derek King, who you know beat Oklahoma when he was the quarterback at Houston. And had a really good year at the University of Miami. So it's a, it's a fun matchup just in terms of what we talked about with the two programs. But also, it's a great test for this OSU defense to, you know, we watched Oklahoma's defense play, you know, completely pissed off. They, they had no first team, all Big 12 members going up against Iowa State. And uh, now we're going to see a, a really mad 
OSU defense that that really got hosed by the coaches. It, we thought it was the media poll last week, Colby. It was the coaches. Yeah, it was the that, coaches that, that roasted Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this defense facing Derek King. Uh, yeah, I am too. This is obviously going to be a defense without Rodarius Williams, but I I think until we hear otherwise, I'll assume guys are playing guys like Colby Harville, Peel, Trey Sterling, uh, Amen, Malcolm, guys on that D line. Uh, Calvin Bundage, Oklahoma State obviously will be without Trace Ford. So you're without your best corner and you're without your best pass rusher. Obviously, maybe it takes you a little bit longer to get to the quarterback. That means you have to defend a little longer on the back end. You have to defend a little longer on the back end now without your best corner. So I don't think that we'll see the best version uh, of this defense. Just I don't think you can when you lose a lockdown corner and an elite pass rusher. But this is still a really good defense going against an offense with Miami that has De'Eric King, who obviously can beat you in multiple ways. So the matchup itself, as far as whenever whenever Oklahoma State's defense is on the field, I think is a great matchup. Yep, no doubt. So that, that'll be a, a fun matchup, no question. One more thing I wanted to bring up before we get to basketball, uh, Colby. There's an interesting quarterback of note in the transfer portal. A lot of quarterbacks have been at the transfer portal, obviously – Charlie Brewer from Baylor. I guess he's going to Utah. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, the backup for Oklahoma, is entering the transfer portal. But this one caught my attention because Oklahoma State was really in on this kid in recruiting. Uh, Grant Gunnell from the University of Arizona has entered the transfer portal on the heels of you know Kevin Sumlin getting getting axed in in Tucson. He's six foot six. He was a really highly touted recruit coming out of high school, and OSU was in on him. And I think. When you look at the quarterback situation in Stillwater with Spencer Sanders, Shane Ellingworth, um, I think both those guys are going to return. We don't quite, we don't have any really clarity on that probably till after the season. But I'm curious if OSU will be interested in a, a Grant Gunnell or a transfer quarterback because this kid was big time. And we all know the situation with Gunnar Gundy, who has set out this year, but was a walk on and will be on the roster. So. I guess if you're Mike Gundy, you have three quarterbacks, not including the Ethan Bullock kid who played a little bit this year when Sanders got hurt in the first game. But this is a quarterback I would love to see OSU get in on and just as some insurance perhaps in case. I guess they probably wouldn't get in on him unless, you know, Illingworth or, or Sanders would transfer. But I thought that was a, a newsworthy item I saw. Yeah, I think that we can gauge what's going to happen with Oklahoma State's current quarterbacks based on whether they go after this kid and if he does eventually sign with Oklahoma State. I, I don't think that – you need to have Spencer Sanders, Shane Illingworth, this Gunnell kid, and Gunnar Gundy all on campus at the same time. Obviously, that's not going to work. There's only one football. There's only one quarterback that can be on the field at a time. So if they do go after this kid, then I would assume that either Illingworth or Sanders is not sticking around at Oklahoma State. But I don't know. I don't think they'll go after him. Um, again, until we hear differently, we have to assume that the guys who are there will be there. So I, I don't think they'll end up going after, especially with Gunner coming in. I, I said last week with recruiting, I think a big part of the reason that they didn't have a, a quarterback in this class is because they kind of did. They've got Gunner walking on, so they didn't really feel the need to recruit, recruit a quarterback in this class. So I'd be surprised if they really went hard after this QB. Well, and again, I nothing against Gunnar Gundy, but he had, I think, like two offers. This this Gunnell kid had 39 offers, including, but not limited to, Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, uh, let's see, let's go further down here, Ohio, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Oregon, 
Tennessee, A&M, I mean, Wisconsin, you know, some big, some of the bigger names in college football offered this kid. So again, I have no idea if he's even looking at OSU or if they're looking at him, but I, I would think it'd be interesting too, Colby, if, if Sanders were to leave and they got in on Gunnell, that would, that would really indicate to me, they're going to go back to the, you know, the Brandon Whedon, more traditional uh, pocket passer. But uh, again, that's all speculation. I just thought that was interesting because OSU again was like one of his finalists when he decided to go to Arizona. So without further ado, let's get to the basketball talk here. Colby, another close, close loss for OSU. They go down to Texas on the road on Sunday, uh, 77 to 74. Uh, I don't know how much you got to watch of this game. I watched a little bit of it, but again, Colby, just Again, you can go on pistols firing and read Marshall Scott's five thoughts in the game. And one of his first thoughts was uh, just the lack of offense during large spells. There was a, a period in the, uh, this game. Let me see here. OSU led the game at the halftime, but the Longhorns went on a 17-0 run early in the second half. Just these, these long sustained runs of no points have just crushed OSU, Colby. They had that 9-0 run they gave up at the end of the TCU game to lose. And they give up a 17-0 run. And that, that's, a, that's a big problem is their offense just goes completely stagnant during large, large spells. Yeah, it is. I don't know if you can attribute that to youth or, uh, you, you know, shots just not going in. Or, or it could even be a lack of cohesion because they still yet to really find the lineup that works. We see a completely new starting lineup on Sunday against Texas. Uh, Matthew Alexander Moncrief was thrust in and Avery Anderson were both thrust in to the starting lineup, which I actually kind of liked that move. Oklahoma State got off to a better start. I said Oklahoma State needs to get off to a better start, and they did. They led like 13 to 9 early, and then they just kind of, you know, cruised a little back and forth, chess match in the first half, ended up leading by five at halftime. And then that second half, God, it just all went wrong. And I'm telling you, Oklahoma State is just going to struggle to beat good teams if they continue to shoot the way they have from three. Five of 17 on uh, on Sunday, and I'm pretty sure they hit their final two threes to get to five to 17. If, I, if I'm misremembering that, somebody let me know. But I think they hit their last two to get to five of 17. And, you know, Mike Boynton was clearly seeing some of the th same things from Fair and Flavors that I was seeing. You know, this ain't Cal Baptist. This is the Power Five. This is the Big 12, the best conference in the country. Fair and Flavors played four minutes on Sunday. Oh, of one from beyond the arc. That was the only shot that he got up of the five threes that Oklahoma State hit. Bryce Williams had two of them off the bench. He had a really good game. Uh, you, you know, Cade played well, but didn't shoot it well. Again, one of six from beyond the arc. Um, nine of 19 from the floor. Nine of 19 from the floor is not great, but it's okay. What's that, 45% for, for your point guard? That's probably about uh, what most guys at that position are going to shoot. 25 points on 19 shots. Nothing too wrong with that, but one of six from three, one of four for Keelan. It's just... I, I don't know. I feel like I'm oversimplifying things, Carson, but you've got to shoot the three better to beat good teams. I'll simplify it even more. You're right. They were just 29% from, from three-point range. And, again, I, I love that they, they only took 17, but, man, you, you have to shoot better than 29% if you expect to win on the road against, against Texas. But yeah. to simplify it even more, Colby, and you hit on this last podcast, is their free-throw shooting is abysmal. They shoot 61% against uh, – or 62% against Texas. They were 13 of 21. And that – that's just lost. I mean, you hit, you know, 75%, you win the game, you know, maybe even just 70%, but they shot 62%. That's free throws and three-point shooting has absolutely killed this team so far. So, and, that, and I think 
think those are correctable. I mean, just it's not that complicated. I don't know how often they're practicing them and whatnot, but that's that's a huge issue. But a bigger issue too, Colby, as we mentioned in previous shows as well, that, that Cade has struggled early. He did so again in this game, and he did score 13 of his of his 25 points in the final six minutes. But he, he began the game, you know, three for nine. So it's clearly taken him first halves to get comfortable, to find out what's working, what's not, how to attack the defense, how to exploit the defense. But uh, Cade really caught fire late, like he has a lot this year. And I think once he's able to get off to a good start and close games the way he has, well, then I think OSU will be in good shape. But that's, that's been a big issue as well. Yeah, I think for, for Cade, it's pretty obvious that teams have a plan for Cade going in. The plan is pack the paint. There's no defensive three-second rule. Post a big guy underneath make everything congested. If you come inside the arc, it, it's going to be like playing in a phone booth, like what we talk about with Oklahoma State football sometimes. And, I mean, opposing teams are just going to swarm Cade and force him to try to find shooters. The problem is the, the guys he's kicking it out to aren't making shots, and, man, that just makes it so tough, especially in college with no defensive three seconds because it gets so congested in the lane and, and I feel like teams are just devising this defensive strategy to make it really hard on Cade to operate. And it's worked now a couple times in a row, even despite the good scoring performances. And like you said, he got really hot at the end of that game yesterday. But teams are still doing a good job defensively, making it to where he's not really being able to create a ton for his teammates because it's not like there's a lot of backdoor cutters or anybody going to the rim that he can find. It's all, you know, drive in and then kick out to somebody who either has to put it on the floor again or take a jump shot. And now some adjustments are going to have to be made by Oklahoma State because you know every team is going to continue to defend you this way. And, man, I'm I'm really uh, pretty worried about this game against West Virginia that's coming up. Is that the next one or is Texas Tech next? It's Texas Tech on January 2nd, West Virginia on the 4th. You know, West Virginia has maybe the best front court in the country with those two big guys they've got inside. So, I, I mean, if, if these teams with average bigs have been shutting you down like this. When you come up against West Virginia, I, I tell you what, in these two weeks that Oklahoma State's got off, they better come up with a plan to attack a defense that's going to defend them the way TCU and Texas did. Yeah, and I, I think that's why you saw Kuma inserted into the starting lineup like he was the previous you know couple games because OSU's struggling inside, not just offensively, but defensively too. I mean, they got out-rebounded 44 to 38. That's a big concern against that front court against West Virginia. And this is where the loss of your A just absolutely just kills you. I mean, they they really don't have a center, as you can understand. Obviously, Moncrief got the start as the quote-unquote, you know, five-man, but he's 6'7". So they're playing a lot of smaller guys, and that can help you on the offensive end, but not, not when you're not hitting threes and not making free throws. And it, it really is going to hurt you in the rebounding department. And they got – they got out-rebounded against Texas, and that's going to be a concern moving forward as well. So, again, Mike, Mike Boyne's got his work cut out for him. I think he's trying you know, lots of different lineups, which I like. He's trying lots of different options, and it's been mixed results so far. But Kyle Boone did write an article on Pistols Firing as well that saying it's uh, despite the slow start, it's not time to panic for OSU hoops. And I, I'm with you there. I, they lost two games by a total of four points against TCU and Texas, who are not – rum dums by any any stretch of the imagination. They did go undefeated in, in non-conference play with two good wins in Wichita State 
and Marquette. So it's been a disappointing start 0-2 in Big 12 play. But I'm not ready to panic just yet. I don't think you are either, Colby. No, I'm not. I mean, if, if you had flipped the Marquette and TCU games, if they had beaten Marquette and lost to TCU, they'd still be 6-2, and two, but they'd be 1-1 one one in conference, and we'd all be feeling better. I, I think the, the feeling of disappointment is coming from the fact that the Big 12 is so good, so we all kind of know there's no real let-up in the schedule coming. But, no, I don't think it's time to panic. I think this is a team that has a lot of talent. But, uh, again, Mike Boyne's clearly trying to figure out the exact right combination of all this talent that he's got. And look, that's not an easy thing to figure out, you know, throwing Moncrief into the starting lineup. I like that. I think he's really talented. He's also really young. And whenever you get, you know, three, four, maybe even at sometimes five guys on the floor at once that are sophomores or younger, I mean, that's how you get some of these sustained scoring droughts. There's just young guys who haven't played together a ton and, and one thing that I'm a little concerned about moving forward, Cade played 38 minutes yesterday, likely played 37 minutes yesterday. That's nearly the entire game that you're having to keep these guys on the floor. It, it'd be nice if those guys could play 34 or 35 minutes a game. Because I think 37, 38 minutes, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old or not, that's going to start to wear you down over time. Uh, and real quick, I just want to go back to, we were talking about the free throws earlier you know, go look at the box scores from these games for Oklahoma State. It, it's not like what the Thunder dealt with for years with Steven Adams, where it's like, okay, just don't let Steven get on the free throw line late, and you're good. It, it's not like there's any one terrible free throw shooter that's bringing down the team. It's that everyone on the team is just kind of an average free throw shooter. So, like, th- these are the guys who missed one free throw yesterday. Matthew Alexander Moncrief missed one. Avery Anderson missed one. Keelan Boone missed one. Caleb Boone missed one. Bryce Williams missed one. Rondell Walker missed one. Cade missed two, but he attempted eight. So it's like everybody on the team is just kind of a so-so free throw shooter. So at the end of games, it's not like you can just keep one guy off the line and you're good to go. You don't have two guys that are going to be 85 to 88% free throw shooters you can rely on late in games. So I think that is going to be a problem for Oklahoma State that Honestly, I know you say it's fixable with practice, but guys struggle from the free throw line and then it becomes a mental thing trying to make them late in games. I think that's something that we're just going to see continue to be a problem uh, most of the season. Yeah, and I say it's fixable, but, you know, some guys just aren't good free throw shooters no matter how much they practice. So you're right. That's a that's a big concern moving forward. And and Mike Boynton did touch on a little bit what I mentioned with uh, the lack of rebounding. Mike Boynton says, quote, our lack of being able to defensive rebound hurt us, and we didn't do a great job in transition defense. A one-possession game where the other team gets 13 more shots is going to be hard to win. So improve the free throw shooting. Obviously, they need to improve the three-point shooting, but the lack of of, reba- of defensive rebounding just gives teams extra possessions, and that's that's something that gets lost a little bit in the box scores, how many possessions the team got more than you based on, you know, rebounding. So that there's some issues to correct, but I, I do think they're correctable. They do have talent, and I'm with you, Colby. I think this team is going to be much better in a month or two than they are right now. So it's just – it's a shame that their schedule is so seemingly front-loaded uh, with the Big 12 play, but I, I say it's front-loaded, but it's probably back-loaded too because that's the, that's the nature of, of playing in, in the Big 12 conference. Yeah, it is. It's going to get – it's going to get tougher before it gets easier. Like I said, so, I mean, right out of the break, you get two weeks off and then you get Texas Tech, who we know is one of the best teams in the country. And then you get West Virginia, currently ranked number seven, one of the best teams in the country two days later. 
So, yeah, yeah I, I, it's not going to get any easier. No. So, uh, let's get to the uh, Bullets and BB segment. First, let's hear from Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. It's uh, chrisuniversityspirit.com. And all day, every day, they offer free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. So, take advantage of that. I know shipping costs can... When you're ordering a bunch of gifts and a bunch of stuff online, the shipping can add up. But uh, at Chris's, you don't have to worry about that. So go to chrisuniversityspirit.com and get your shopping done. Uh, bullets and BBs, Colby, what you got for me? Yeah, for my bullet, I, I really kind of debated where I was going to go with my bullet. And I bounced it around. I think I'm going to change it. And I'm going to give my bullet to Jelani Woods. I know we're all <laughs> upset he's leaving. But Jelani Woods was so much fun to watch during his time at Oklahoma State. I gave one to Rodarius last week. Of course, his situation is a little different. He's moving on to the NFL. Jelani Woods might just be moving on to a different program. But I don't hold any ill will toward any of these guys for making the decision that they think is best for them. If Jelani thinks that he has a better future somewhere else, do what's best for you, young man. I enjoyed watching you in your time at Oklahoma State. He was an absolute blast, and, and hopefully – he goes somewhere that will still occasionally be on TV uh, so I can flip over, or at least catch some highlights of Jelani Woods, hopefully doing some good things in his future. Some early speculation on where Jelani will end up. Uh, if you're a Ooh, member of, of Pistols Firing Blog, you know, PFB Plus, there's a lot of threads that pop up, some people inside and the inside uh, in the know. Uh, this is not confirmed, but one of the latest speculation landing spots for Jelani is the University of Arkansas in the oh. SEC, which is an interesting selection. Obviously, Jelani's from Georgia, so it's in the SEC. I do wonder how what the connections are there with coaching staff and why Arkansas would be on the list. But what, how do you think that fits him? Um, yeah, I mean, Arkansas is kind of a program on the rise. I mean, there was nowhere to go up from where Arkansas was at a year or two ago. So, I mean, yeah, they're, but they're definitely on the rise. They've had uh, definitely a much better season and a much more competitive football team than I think most people, myself included, thought they would have. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he's from Louisiana. That keeps him in this part of the country. Really doesn't take him too far from Stillwater uh, at all. So, yeah, I think Arkansas could potentially fit him well. Try to look up their uh... – coaching staff obviously Sam Pittman's the head coach he has ties to the state of Oklahoma let's see here of course Arkansas their website's just not popping up but let's see here this is great radio by the way uh, I can't find it to hell with it so Jelani maybe may or may not end up at the University of Arkansas but we'll have to see what position he plays uh, let's go to my BB uh, I'm gonna give it up I'm, I'm throwing up the X in honor of Des Bryant. Your bullet. bullet. What did I say? You said your BB. I'm sorry. My bullet is Des Bryant. I'm throwing up the X after a three-year odyssey, a span of 1,106 days between touchdowns. He scores for the Baltimore Ravens, throws up the X. Obviously, Des has had just a hellacious time with the, the Achilles injury, being out of the NFL after being released by the Cowboys. Said he had to hold back tears, Colby, and Des Bryant, one of the most beloved Cowboys of all time. He always shows love to OSU, and uh, it was great to see him get back in the end zone. Oh, it was so good to see Des in the end zone throwing up the X. It was, you know, honestly, I didn't know if we'd ever see it again. And Des has been one of the most fun players to watch. Obviously, grew up an Oklahoma State fan, so I watched him at Oklahoma State. I also grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I watched him forever 
with Dallas uh, throwing up the X many, many times. So it was great to see him do that for Baltimore. And I had, uh, I'm in the championship in my fantasy football league and I started Lamar Jackson yesterday. So that was a, a double win for me. So I was all in. Congrats to you. I, went, I was in uh, three semifinals. I won two and lost one, which I lost on the, the Browns. I had Kareem Hunt who did absolutely nothing. So that, that stunk, but I digress. Uh, my BB, Colby, I don't know if you watched the Big 12 championship game or not. Oh, I did. Matt Campbell absolutely <laughs> lost his marbles in this game. You know, Iowa State tries to draw Oklahoma offsides. They did jump over the line, but they didn't make contact. Matt Campbell goes ballistic. He starts pointing at the official, dropped a bunch of that's BS, Adam. And then Iowa State ends up getting a first down. And he – won't let it go. He starts screaming and pointing and saying, you, you, just keeps pointing at the official and just completely lost his mind. It was, I've never seen a coach, we've seen plenty of coaches have tirades on the sideline, but for one to single out an official like that and just make it personal and go after one particular one in general like that for a sustained amount of time and not get flagged, I couldn't believe he didn't get flagged, but that it was, it was simultaneously my favorite thing that happened in the game. And also like, what are you doing, Matt Campbell? Like, I know you're trying to stick up for your team and show a little fight, but my God, that was overboard. Yeah. Here's my, my take on Matt Campbell on Saturday. He definitely went overboard by, by not letting it go. I could see from where he was standing, how he could have thought that maybe the defensive tackle did make contact with the center. You know, we've got the luxury of sitting down, watching it on 65-inch TVs, slow-motion replays with cameras right over the top of everything. He's standing 40 yards away. He thought that they got the offsides they were wanting. Also, his team's at a point right then down 17 to nothing where he probably feels like the game is slipping away. So I, I have given him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he thought there was contact from where he was standing and the official missed it but he definitely carried on way too long. That being said, Carson, that was, aside from watching an 11-year-old hit golf balls, that was my favorite moment of the weekend. Matt Campbell, oh, dude, I was cracking up. We were at my parents' house watching it. It was hilarious. I've never seen a coach that mad. I cannot believe that he didn't get flagged. So I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him a, a half of a pass. He shouldn't have carried on as long as he did but maybe from where he was standing, he couldn't exactly see whether they made contact. I was fine with the first one, but the when they get the first down and he's still like yeah. running out to midfield, pointing at the guy practically. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. That was, yeah, uh, that was, that was probably my favorite moment in Big 12 championship history, but I had to it give him a great. BB for losing his mind. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my BB, not to the people who are upset about the college football playoff. That's fine. I'm giving my BB to the people who got on Twitter Saturday night and said, well, we already know what's going to happen. It's going to be Alabama, uh, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. We already know what it's going to be. Everyone just prepare yourselves. And then a lot of those same people got on on Sunday and were furious and were throwing out all these reasons they hate it. And I'm like, hold on. You, you knew it was coming. Well, I, I just – I don't understand the disconnect here. We know – what the college football playoff is. It's been proven to us for years. It's about helmet logo. It's about the, the big names in college football. We knew that a loss to Clemson wasn't going to bump Notre Dame. They had already beaten Clemson. Ohio State was already in the four. They won. We knew the committee wasn't taking them out. I just, 
I, I feel like people were holding on to maybe this like shred of hope that what they knew was going to happen wouldn't happen. We knew it was going to happen. The committee's been doing this for years. For years, the committee's been doing this. If you want to be mad at the system, be mad at the system. But we knew who the four were as soon as the games concluded Saturday afternoon. We knew who the four were. It was over. There was no more drama. So I just, I thought there were way too many overreactions yesterday. So the overreactors are getting my BBs. I can't judge because I tend to say the same thing. I'm not going to overreact. I'm not going to overreact. And then I tend to overreact every time, but I didn't, well, I didn't. Full disclosure, I, I do it sometimes about other things. Full right. Disclosure. I, I didn't do it this weekend. Cause I'm with you. I, we, we knew what was going to happen. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that that Joey Galloway was so aghast that Cincinnati was ranked behind Oklahoma. Like, did he really think Cincinnati was going to be in the playoff or anywhere close? I mean, I, I, I don't know what he was talking about. So I, I do think it's interesting, though, Colby, you know, the lack of intrigue, you know, for you and I and like everyone else that, that knew what the final four was going to be. Joel Klatt was actually pretty – it was interesting. He, he proposed a 16-team playoff because of this fact that, you know, football in college, football, the, the top has become so much less interesting. I mean, you know what four teams it's going to be. There's really no suspense at all. So this, this notion that the regular season is this most thrilling event of all time, well, as long as Ohio State loses once, they're in. As long as Alabama loses once or twice, they're in. Uh, let's see here. He says, uh, let's see. I can't remember, but I, I thought it was crazy he brought up a 16-team play. Let's, let's start with eight and go from there, uh, Joel. But I, I do appreciate Joel's perspective that, you know, that college football has become so much – less interesting with the way this playoff has played out. Cause it's the same teams every year and there's really no surprise and teams don't even get to really compete for a national championship in the current, current formula. Yeah. I, you know, I, I get asked all the time and I used to more so when I was doing radio and talking about it more, I, I get asked how I could grow up in the state of Oklahoma around all the great college football we have in this state and still think the NFL is so much better, which I do. It's because the NFL is unlike any other league in the world with its parody. The parody in the NFL is unparalleled every year. There are just a bunch of teams that can make the playoffs. We see every year there's six or seven teams who make the playoffs who don't the next year. And the parody is what makes the NFL great. And college football has none of it. And and the gap between the haves, I'm going to get up on my soapbox, the gap between the haves and the have-nots in college football is only getting wider. And guess what? We're going to name, image, and likeness. It's going to continue getting wider as we continue to loosen up the rules on what athletes are and are not allowed to make uh, as part of their successes at these universities. You're more marketable as a star at Alabama than you are as a star at Oklahoma State. That's, that's just factual. So I, I don't know. I think that there needs to be – some some pretty major overhauls in college football that I don't think are coming anytime soon. But I think a good first small step would be to expand the playoff. And, and again, in college football, you don't need a committee because everybody plays everybody. Well, 100 teams can't play 100 other teams in college football. But what you can do is expand the playoff so that teams that didn't get a chance to play other teams from around the country now get a chance to prove that they're on that level. So I've always been in favor of an expanded college playoff. And, and me and John Hoover, and I love John Hoover, um, we used to go back and forth about this whenever we were on the franchise. 
because he likes it at four because it creates that drama. Well, who got left out? Who didn't? And, and now I think we're getting to the point where it's taking the drama away because we know it's only a handful of helmet logos that really have a chance to get in every year. I think that regular season would mean more if the playoff were expanded because teams like Oklahoma State could lose one game and you know that if you run the table, you still have a good chance to get in. So I am so far in on the expansion of the playoff. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's kind of what, what you just mentioned was what Joel mentioned. He said in the past, things like conference championships, division championships, and New Year's Eve bowl games were all enticing objectives for players. That's no longer the case. Expansion to 16 will keep more teams and programs relevant across the country. It's exactly what you just were referring to. And he says the CFP has driven a massive gap between the top of college football and the rest. The only teams to have won a CFP, the only teams that have won CFP games are Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, Clemson, and Oregon. The 2021 recruiting rankings are as follows. Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, Clemson, and Oregon. Wow. <laughs> so that, that just illustrates that, yeah, it's become, you know, it's the top and the rest doesn't really matter as much. So that, the argument that the, the regular season will be just, you know, irrelevant, it's it's kind of become that way, like you, like you just mentioned. So I, I think – I think they can and will expand, and I think that will really help the sport. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. It's it's a matter of when, not – or yeah, no. Yes, what am I trying to say it's here? It's a matter I'm of confused. when, not if. Yeah, it's a matter of when. Not, I'm going brain dead on a Monday. It's a matter of when, not if. It's going to be expanded. Uh, I just hope they do it sooner. Don't wait until 24 or 25 with the contracts being up and stuff. There are ways around that. Do it next year. Do it next year. College football, you, you need – some sort of infusion um, because I think, like you said, one thing that's interesting that we haven't gotten into, and, and if you want to do more of this, you know, next week when we talk more about the bowl game, we can, but with COVID and everything that's happening, guys sitting out, who knows if guys go home for Christmas and then we get outbreaks and have some bowl games canceled and stuff. But I'm curious, and we can talk about this next week if you want, how big of a hit bowl season is going to take from the fact that it's going to be greatly reduced and so much different this year and without the fans and everything like that. I'm, I'm curious what the uh, future of bowl season is. Oh, I am too. And we can, we can certainly get into that more often, but I, I, my quick thought is just bowls are just such a relic from the past. They really, they really are. So I'm, and we've seen interest go down. We've seen attendance gone, go way down pre COVID. We've seen the sponsors change every year because they, they're not profitable. I just, uh, I'm with you. I, I'm curious to see how that, that plays out in the, uh, the, the very near future. All right, Colby, before we get out of here, it's time for one interesting thing. I'll, I'll start. I thought the Big 12 title game was outstanding. I thought Oklahoma really missed so many opportunities to really blow out Iowa State. They just could not get a – they could not get a, a, keep a drive going on third down. I think they were like one of eight or one of nine on third down. They scored three points in the second half. But Oklahoma's defense played really well. They, they, they won the game for – for Oklahoma against Iowa State. And I think it's discouraging for the rest of the league, Colby. They've won six in a row. They had this redshirt freshman, Spencer Rattler, who I thought made some just jaw-dropping throws in that game. And now it appears that Alex Grinch has Oklahoma playing, you know, championship-level defense, which is crazy considering they've won six straight when they their defense just a couple of years ago was Texas Tech bad. It was embarrassing. They couldn't tackle. They were, I think, dead last in the country in pass defense two years ago. 
And uh, that's the concern. I mean, if there was a year to get Oklahoma, it was this year. And that's why I think uh, I keep going back to Bedlam and how disappointing that performance was and that game plan was. But Oklahoma wins a thriller, and uh, it doesn't appear that they're going away anytime soon. Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely not going away anytime soon. The only way they go away is if Lincoln goes away. And, you know, I'm, I'm firmly entrenched in the idea that one day he will decide the NFL challenges for him. I don't think that day is in the immediate future because I think that he's got uh, something special with Spencer Rattler. I'm really curious. Ronnie Perkins and Perrion Winfrey have decisions to make. Those are big, big decisions uh, for what Oklahoma can accomplish next season because that defensive line is the heart of that defensive improvement. And if those two guys were to leave, I think we could see Oklahoma dip back a little bit uh, more to what that defense looked like probably the first three, four weeks of this season. Yeah, no, I mean, they get those two back. They're they're probably going to be ranked in the top two, top three next year. So big, big yeah. decisions for them. What's your uh, yeah. one interesting thing? Uh, my one interesting thing, it, it's not Oklahoma State related, but I have to, Carson. Charlie Woods is the swaggiest 11-year-old that has ever walked the planet Earth. This kid is unbelievable. And look, I'm not putting him in the golf hall of fame. I don't even know if he wants to play golf when he gets older. Who knows? He's 11 years old. I don't care what he does when he, get old, when he gets older. All I care about is that it was an absolute freaking blast to watch him and Tiger play golf this weekend. It was, it was the sporting event that I didn't know I needed in 2020. It was awesome. I loved every second of it. And I cannot wait for the PNC championship next year. I loved the uh, matching outfits. I loved Charlie walking in putts. I loved his natural eagle that he made without using one of his dad's shots. That was uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. And I just the pressure of being Tiger Woods' son is just almost insurmountable. But where he is as an eleven-year-old is is really intriguing in terms of just what is this kid going to do in the world of golf? It's uh, it's pretty remarkable to watch at his age, the way he's, I think they were using all of his drives. They were, they were using his drives instead of Tigers. He was, he was that most accurate. Of them, yeah, he was, I'd say most of the time on par fours and par fives, Charlie was up about 130, 140 yards on the tees. And he's only about probably uh, 90 yards behind Tiger off the tee. So Charlie would hit first. And as long as he hit the fairway, he'd turn around and give Tiger the thumbs up and Tiger wouldn't even hit. <laughs> That's amazing. That was awesome. That was fun to watch. So again, we'll have uh, much more to talk about this week. We'll have more clarity on probably Tylen Wallace, if he's going to play, where Jelani Woods is heading, and uh, much more on the OSU basketball. I guess the OSU basketball is off for a little while, but uh, plenty to talk about on Friday. Colby, thanks as always, and uh, we'll catch up with you then. Uh, Carson, just so our listeners can know, Friday's Christmas. Are we getting together Wednesday or Thursday to pop another show Friday out? Or is take the rest cr- of the week off? Friday is Christmas. Um, I'll get back to you on that. We're definitely not going to tape on Christmas, but I have to uh, evaluate my schedule uh, and evaluate yours as well. So maybe we'll have another episode this week. If not, have a good holiday, everyone. And uh, we will send out a link if we do another podcast. If not, Colby, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and have a good rest of your week. Yep, absolutely perfect. Go Pokes. Have a great week, everybody.